1: Open
0: wide for some soccer! The San Jose Earthquakes present The Soccer Soccer Hour on KNBR 1050. Brought to you exclusively by your NorCal Honda dealers. Now here's your host, Ted Rainey. All right. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the soccer hour on KMBR 1050, brought to you by your NorCal Honda dealers. We've got a big show coming up here tonight, and we are not going to be able to play the entirety of my interviews with Christopher Sullivan, where we talk all about World Cup draw. Also, I'm going to be joined by Haley Kottmeyer of Just Women's Sports to talk about early season NWSL results. Uh, but because we've got so much, I've have to shorten some of those, and we'll have the full uh, podcast version available. you can hear the entirety of the interview but starting off we are going to be joined by jared shawley the president of the san jose earthquakes and of course this week the earthquakes made the announcement that they have announced plans for a 10 field soccer complex and training center in collaboration with the county of santa clara so this means they have signed an exclusive negotiating agreement for the fairground site For more than I could possibly explain about this, I was able to sit down with Jared, and this was our conversation about where we are now with the plans for this 10-field soccer complex and training center in collaboration with the county of Santa Clara. All right, we are now joined by the president of the San Jose Earthquakes, Jared Shali. Jared, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Good to see you, Ted. Doing well. Um, You know, excited to to sit down with you here today. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I was very... um, pleased to see this presser come out the other day, or press release come out, the headline of the earthquakes announcing plans for a 10-field soccer complex and training center in collaboration with the city of Santa Clara, excuse me, with the county of Santa Clara. Um, and this essentially is people, I, w- I wanted to provide clarity, I'll put it that way, because people kind of ran with the headline and maybe missed the details about the negotiation agreement. So, if you could explain... Um, and make sure that a sports broadcaster can understand it. But the the uh, the negotiation agreement, how that works, what that entails. Sure. Um, well,
2: I'll start off just by saying I'm incredibly excited about this project. So um, you know, it's something we've been working on. Um, for a long period of time to get a training facility built for our first team in our academy. Uh, This particular project with the County of Santa Clara uh, really started in earnest about 18 months ago Mm -hmm. um, and and the vision for that project. So um, what we have agreed to uh, with the County of Santa Clara is an exclusive negotiating agreement that gives us 12 months um, where the earthquakes... And the county board of supervisors can negotiate the final financial details of the project Mm -hmm. uh, and also the development plan for the project. Um, And that period of time is really important because this is a really uh, interesting and, and important piece of land for the county at the fairgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we want to make sure everyone's got their voice in the project um, and can you know contribute to, to making sure it's a long term benefit for the community.
0: Um, what, what are the potential roadblocks, I guess, along that 12 month process or what are what are the points um, not of contention, but of, of interest? Yeah, you know, I think it's just coming to a
2: development plan that um, works for us and for the county. Um, We have a shared vision on this project of four private fields uh, for the earthquakes, earthquakes two team and our academy teams to train on, uh, and then six public fields for the county. Um, So part of the discussions will be how are those public fields programmed, Mm -hmm. who gets to use them, uh, how are they managed, um, and how does the development plan flow together between the private and public uh, portions. Um, So you know all those details will be in the next 12 months. Um, We're going to work with our architectural partners, our construction partners, uh, do some due diligence also uh, on the site at the fairgrounds, um, and make sure we understand everything
0: that's happening out there. In the um, backgrounds talking about this, it's been made very clear to me that it was of utmost importance to have those public fields um, available. So, I I guess the the why of that. um, Why is that such a big part of this? Yeah, so we work... We were looking at
2: solving for two things that are incredibly important to the earthquakes here. One is to make sure that we have best-in-class training facility for all of our players at every level. Uh, the second piece is continuing continuing to expand access to the game uh, for all the youth of Northern California. Um, we know there's a dearth of fields um, in Santa Clara County, in the broader Bay Area region, uh, and so in this project and in future projects we are always looking for opportunities to build infrastructure for kids to play the game of soccer mm-hmm. um and so with the amount of land uh, that is available at the fairgrounds and as we started talking about this with them they had a really they had a good shared vision um for outdoor recreational use use especially for kids um, and so that combination of putting those two things together in this project maybe is going to take us a little bit more time to get all that right but the outcome is just going to be
0: incredible. Yeah. In terms of the location at the uh, at the fairgrounds, in terms of the uh, amount of space it would use, what what can you tell us about that? So the, the full project's
2: about thirty four acres of space. Uh, it's on Umbarger and Monterey roads, like right where those two come together. Um, and you know, it's a site. It's a site I visited as a kid. You may have done it too for the the county fair growing up. Um, And, you know, it's a it's a site that I think the vision that the county has for it as a recreational space, in addition to our youth soccer fields, they're thinking about a cricket field out there and some other sports related recreational projects. Um, you know, I think we can bring a lot of life back to that area and, and
0: really develop a piece of property that's had a long history here in, in the county. And then talking about the the how of all this came to be, because I know this is something that's been in the works for a while that, um, you know, maybe has not been talked about at the forefront as much as some of the other things that have been going on with, with the team. But, um, you know, just if you could take us through the process of how this is coming uh, to, to where we are now. Yeah. So, yeah. Um During COVID, we actually did quite a bit of work with the county,
2: um, more around with the county health department around the COVID protocols and returning to play. Uh, In those discussions, we spent a good amount of time with Supervisor Chavez, um, and we talked about kind of in broad strokes what a uh, a project like this might look like. um, And it really just took off from there. So it's been a lot of meetings and a lot of back and forth and design work to kind of get to where we are today. Um, But getting this negotiating agreement done allows us to kind of be more public with this for the first time and Mm -hmm. put out the first renderings um of the complex and how how our vision for that
0: looks um and so we're really excited to do that and then you know now that this is part of the the public domain now in terms of everybody's going to be wanting um to opine on it and have their say how how do you how do you make sure how do you does the county make sure that everybody can weigh in on this
2: yeah so that'll be part of the process here as we go through the next 12 months um getting the the feedback from um All the constituents that and stakeholders that will be a part of this project Mm -hmm. um and you know we look forward to engaging with them and meeting with them i mean this is a project that's meant for the community um you know i hope the youth soccer community really shows up and and tells us uh you know what they'd like to see in the project um because this is uh you know the end goal here is to have one of the best, um, soccer complexes in Northern California, if Mm -hmm. not all of the Western United States. Um, and that's going to take all the stakeholders commitment to that. Um, and we look forward to engaging with everybody.
0: How do you battle maybe cynicism from people who would say it isn't for the public, it's for the earthquakes and there's ancillary because those voices, they will exist, even though from, you know, looking at it, it's like the six fields being operated by a major league soccer franchise that doesn't sound like a bad thing to Uh, me no this is this is going to be an absolute public
2: benefit i mean bringing six new fields online in the bay area is just unheard of i i that's probably hasn't happened in the past 30 years um and to be able to do it in such a central part of san jose Mm -hmm. is going to give access to so many kids from all parts of san jose um they're gonna have access to our sport uh so i i wholeheartedly believe in that concept uh field usage um has only escalated um some incredible percentage over the past 10 years (laughs) no new fields are being built that has caused the cost of field rentals to skyrocket uh, especially in the past five years so we've got to put more supply of fields online to lower the cost uh, across the county
0: for kids to be able to play the sport and for the first team do you imagine that this will be more of a selling point to you know trying to bring players in. I mean, that's something that, you know, I I haven't really thought of it just now, but I mean, I suppose, you know, we we do see that, you know, being discussed more and more. Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, Certainly the first team
2: player is going to get a great benefit from this. Um, And, uh, you know, that, that hopefully will be a selling point for them. I actually see it, potentially even more of a selling point for some of the younger academy players who are Mm -hmm. looking to join our academy uh, versus the other options that they might have Um, you know we already have one of the top five to six academies uh, in MLS right now talent wise (laughs) great coaching great players great talent to be able to add this level of infrastructure to that kind of uh, the ingredients we have in place already on the academy side,
0: I think sky's the limit from there. I guess to to finish it up, then if there is if there's something that I haven't asked about yet, or something that you've thought of that you've wanted to bring more clarity to with regards to this project.
2: No, I think you know it, it's the the project is meant to be a public private partnership mm-hmm. um, that allows access for kids in the community to play soccer that gives a really. A unique closeness between the professional environment and the recreational environment, so that our players are very accessible and, and you know right next to the kids that are training and playing as part of, as part of this new facility. Um, and you know, hopefully it's an aspirational project where people, young kids from around the community look over to the field to their left and they see Cade Cowell playing and you know, they want to be the next Cade Cowell. Um, so, you know, that's our hope for this. That really fits the ethos of who the earthquakes are and the connections we've always had that are deep in the community here in San Jose. Um, and I think this hopefully solidifies that for the
0: next generation. To bring this now to the, to the public, um, are you more excited? Is it more of a relief that you finally gotten to this point? just on a, on a personal level, because I, I know you've been working on this. Yeah, you know, I'm really excited for, for where the project's at right now. Um,
2: and I hope that uh, we can continue to keep the public updated as we go through these next phases and hopefully get to a, a groundbreaking here um, after this exclusive negotiating agreement period's uh, finished.
0: Jared, I assure you, I will have more questions for you regarding this, and I will uh, continue to check in with you on this as we get through this 12-month process. Uh, but thank you so much for your time today, and I will see you soon. Good to see you, Ted. Thank you. Again, that was the president of the San Jose Earthquakes, Jared Shawley. I have not had much time this week to talk about the San Jose Earthquakes with everything that's been going on with the World Cup draw. We wanted to get into some NWSL action. Of course, uh, this announcement about the uh, exclusive negotiating timeline with the County of Santa Clara. But the fact of the matter is, we all know the Earthquakes need to start winning games. It was a great comeback on Saturday. I will not overlook that in the slightest, but you cannot keep registering draws at home. There have been three home games there's only been two points out of a possible nine earned and now you've got another stiff challenge coming up against Houston on Saturday. Of course, join me Saturday at 5.30 right here on KMBR 1050 as your San Jose Earthquakes visit the Houston Dynamo. But the San Jose Earthquakes need to start getting wins. They need to start climbing out of this early season hole. There's plenty of time left. I have no doubt about the fact that they can do it. It's just got to get started sooner rather than later. We are going to take a break. On the other side, we are going to talk all about the United States men's national team and the World Cup draw. That's coming up next on the Soccer Hour on KMBR 1050. 50 brought to you by your NorCal Honda dealers. You are listening to the entirety of my interview with Christopher Sullivan here on the Soccer Hour brought to you by your NorCal Honda dealers. Again, this is the full interview that you heard part of on air on the Soccer Hour now in full-length form again with Christopher Sullivan as we talk about everything and the World Cup draw of which the United States have qualified. Mr. Sullivan, what's happening? Always a pleasure. I, I briefly saw you during the broadcast the other <laughs> night, and I made sure to give Joe Cannon a, a hard time because I you know, I was doing multiple things at once, as usual, like any broadcaster. And right. it wasn't until after you, you came over, I feel a hand on my shoulder. I'm like, oh, it's Christopher Sullivan in here right at the start of the second half. Uh, so I, I made sure I said, Joe, when we have a World Cup veteran stock by the booth, you got you got to make me aware.
1: <laughs> my man first of all it, it, was, it was great I, I appreciate the bear hug that was great and Joe was super gracious as always he was nice to all the, the scouting uh, folks that were there from the United States National Team I, identification for youth and yeah it was great to see you guys in action you, know, <laughs> you guys both sounded good we just did a little quick cameo there to say hi and uh, yeah the, the, um, great to be on your show and, and, and with your listeners again very excited for the World Cup I should be in Doha I've been there two times in the last four years. Fortunately, I did the World Cup that was played in Russia out of being sport in Doha, Qatar with Andy Gray and Rude Hulit and Christian Vieri and Richard Keys and on and on. They have just it's just such a pleasure and an honor to be with those guys. So Mm -hmm. I'm planning on being back there in November as well and uh, getting back in the groove again. I did like four or five of these hits the other day. So (laughs) after uh, after a knee replacement, you know, I'm not in a wheelchair or anything. I'm um, getting back into the broadcasting, so it's it's been really fun.
0: Hey, man, let me let me ask you: As now you're, uh, you know, you're uh, not a kid anymore. Not that you were a kid when you were on the U.S. team that was, you know, going to the World Cup. But did you did you appreciate it the same way that you would have now when you were going to the World Cup? Did you have the same perspective on it then, or were you just an athlete and not you know, it's different when you're when you're young and in the midst of your career. Like, when you look at it now, especially the United States getting back after missing it in 2018, I mean, did, right. did you have any of the same perspective about it then as you do now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was fortunate because there was only two Americans. It was a very young team. And, and while several of those players went on to have incredible careers, you know, you think John Harkes, Eric, all that, Tab Ramos, you can go on and on with all the players that were playing abroad. But at that time, it was only peter vermis that was in volendam and i was in Rabaeto in the hungarian first division peter had been there the year before obviously he comes his father's from budapest and he's hungarian and i had an agent we played a game actually in lille in a tournament of lille i scored a goal against bernard lama and um janos pinter who was who was the one who discovered morton olsen and louis van hall and um in that particular game you know my agent eric peter had said hey he, you know, he felt you were the best player on the field and then he wanted to represent me and i was planning to go to belgium and i ended up going to hungary um, and it was the best move that i made but since childhood i always wanted to play in a world cup and i think most football players will tell you that's the dream and i just heard someone the other day they said someone was just who was being interviewed it was someone from another country said i forgot who it was they said i didn't even think about playing club football (laughs) all i thought and they were one of the best club players they said all i wanted to do was play in a world cup that's it and so you know 86 i was fortunate enough my dad who passed away two years ago almost two years ago he took my best friend and i thomas silvis you know from this area great player played on the national team ucla um national champion as well he took us to study um study azteca azteca for the final with wow. Germany and, and Argentina. And, you know, when I look back, I think not many people had that opportunity. We were there and um, to watch Diego, I was in love with Diego, I was in love, I was personally in love with Chaga as well, Aldano. and um, we got to watch, take that game in, and four years later, and I was in Italy playing in the World Cup. So <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was an incredible, you know, we didn't even know if the US was gonna qualify, so it's just an, an incredible, incredible moment, the height by far.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I can only, uh, you know, imagine just because it is, you know, it's the world cup. It is, you know, it's the yeah. world sports party and just the way that it is regarded. And,
1: you know, it's incredible, it's, especially in Italy, it's the Mecca, you know, so it, it also a few years later, um, we had our, our first boy, Daniel Joseph, and I was playing in Brunby in Denmark and my wife and I came back on the plane uh, with our daughter, Monica, and I was carrying him the whole flight. We got into LA, Bora had the U S team and we were playing the friendship cup in 92. It was like 60,000 people. Or so Colombia was the first match. And then Brazil was the second. And that was 27, 28. I was super skinny because the way they ran in Denmark, I'm mean, not skinny, but you know, <laughs> fit like a butcher's dog, you know? And, uh, and my my wife flew back to our house in Northern California, and then some family came out to watch the games, but also lining up against Brazil to play against Cafu, a young Cafu and a young Roberto Carlos and Bebeto and Rai. Uh, that was also one of the heights, and it was one of my best games that I played with the U.S. against Brazil. One of my good buddies who ran Adidas said, you haven't done anything till you play against Brazil. So, you know, Brazil is, is, uh, is also a great moment to play against... Uh, the yellow
0: shirt. Well, I, I just wonder, you know, what's going through the heads of a lot of these guys on the United States men's national team. And there weren't that many who were a part of the of the squad in you know 2017 that is linked to not qualifying, which for me is right. ancient history. At this point, you spend too much time looking at the past. You're not able to yep. move forward. And I think that, you know, we look specifically at a Christian Pulisic who's been dubbed the golden boy of, of American soccer for obvious reasons. He's, he's phenomenal. Um, You know, just these guys, but it's different. I mean, you were the the precipice uh, or the emphasis on soccer that is put now. Like I I was, you know, 13 at the first MLS soccer game. And that to me was a huge deal. And I, you know, it was incredible. And it's, I, it's been the norm for me, but it wasn't the norm for a lot of my friends. Now, my kids, they're eight and six major league soccer, UCL, you know whatever it is, watching Liga MX games, everything's televised. It's all the norm. I mean, these guys who are now representing the US and going into a uh, Qatar, it's just it's it's so interesting to watch how this is developed and you know, there's there's a tremendous amount of pressure on these guys. There's never in my opinion never been more pressure on a US squad because they are so talented right now and they are all so young and seemingly getting, they're all at a stage yeah. of their career where they're getting better, which makes everyone just, you, you kind of dream a little bit about what they can do. And I don't, you know, for me, I'm looking at, you know, getting out of the group stage, advancing, but at the same time, it's like you, you do start to flirt with the idea of, well, what can this team really do?
1: Yeah, you know, I think there's so many things to unpack there with what you just mentioned. You know, first of all, it's the youngest team in the World Cup, so bodes well for 2026 when USA, Mexico and Canada host. That's probably when they're going to start striking the, uh, you know, that optimal high note of their playing uh, capacity, if you will. And more importantly, to find some kind of cohesion in chemistry, because I think that's what's lacking most. Mm-hmm. Even though you have individuals that are playing at an astonishing level. Uh, you know, Christian Pulisic playing in uh, Chelsea, winning Champions League. You Look at Tyler Adams, his trajectory. I was with him in Mexico and Guadalajara as one of the, you know, guest assistants to Omid Namazi. And that was the first time ever that an under-18 had just blown out all the Mexico teams. You can name them all. Chivas, Atlas, um, Udehe, um, Roja. Uh, all the teams that were over there, they just beat by three, four, five goals. And these players was the next generation that were coming out. So they've played in important teams, and I think that translates over to a World Cup. If you go back in history, one thing that I noted, the 90 World Cup, Italy was the biggest league. So every Sunday they used to have a saying that every Sunday was a World Cup match. You watch Juventus <laughs> play against uh, Inter, or Milan was playing Napoli. You say that was a World Cup match. And then these players, when they were playing in a World Cup, you say, well, they're playing a World Cup match every Sunday. And they were the protagonist and the catalyst in the game that were the biggest stars. And so I think that does transfer over for our players, having been in more important situations than any other American players have ever been in, right? Think Jermaine Jones, when he played against Portugal in Manaus and scored that bombazo. Um, It's because he played in Champions League. Mm-hmm. He was in important games. He played week in and week out in the Bundesliga. And that's why Jürgen Klinsmann depended upon him because you got to have players that play in big matches, you know. I say another word to my kids. I don't know, this is the... Uh, if I can say, but you've got to have big, uh, you know, got to have the moxie, right? <laughs> and, and in those moments, you know, I could remember a quick story. This is a side note. When Pep Guardiola was in Brescia, he had to sit out for a little while because there was some kind of doping thing that he had to clear, right? He said it was something that he ate. And uh, Roberto Baggio's trainer was training him every day. And then he's talking to me. I go there a couple times a year and they said, oh, El Mister, Masoni wasn't sure if he's going to be able to cope and play. I said, my friend was with me too, I said, come on, he's nine, t- nine years under Cruyff, you know, Barcelona captain, <laughs> the dream team, you know, and I said, come on, next time I, next time I came, they go, the this guy has this, you know, he said, in, the, in the most difficult moments, he wants the ball, right, and that's, in football, you got to look for those kind of players, the players that have the character, the players that want to be in those situations, and you can kind of pick them out. But they have to try to. I think that Greg Berhalter has to um, modify the composition of how they've been playing. He's very touch, mm-hmm. And so is Ernie, uh, Ernie Stewart, uh, you know, the director of, of the national team, because they've been steeped in and their pedigree is all in Dutch football. And so it's a strict 4-3-3. But the U.S. is not built for a 433 3 We're not Holland. You know, we don't have a bearcat. We don't have Overmars. We have different players and they're good players and they're exquisite and they're technical. But you have to put them in a situation where they could be more dangerous and where they can play themselves into the game and establish a rhythm. It's very hard to establish rhythm of four-three-three, 3 because you don't have the, the, the exchange, the range mm-hmm. of passing for exchange. And when you look at the last time we've had that real rhythm was when Bora had the national team because he, he instilled it in the way that they wanted to play. He almost overdid it, right? He overloaded it. And, and obviously he had the personnel as well because he had Tab Ramos and he had Hugo Perez and they fit the profile like a De La Torre, if you will. And so I'd like to see where you had two pivots, three in front of there, and two forwards instead of one forward mm-hmm. that we haven't really identified yet. And then two wide players that are working on a sliver of a channel, right? So I think that's one thing that I would love to see. And, you know, I'll go on record saying that. I think that you can do that where you have three in the back and two wide carilleros that can come a little deeper. And you could even use two playmakers in the wide position the way Claudio Reyna was used in 2002, right? So that's what I'd like to see uh, with, with Greg Berhalter.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that what, what you're speaking to is just what the, a lot of the fans say is they just want to see it opened up a little bit more. They want to yeah. see it just, you know, obviously you don't want to put yourself into a track meet all the time. But at the same time, it's like it feels like this just... It feels compressed, and you want to see the spread Yeah, it and I, I don't think that out.
1: puts you in a. I, I, I don't think that puts you in a track meet. Um what, I, what I'm seeing is it's just so predictable, mm-hmm. right? Everyone and their grandmother has seen the next move, and you know when everyone from the stands has seen the move in the television before you make it. Imagine your opponent <laughs> that <laughs> that also has an edge. It's cutting the veins, and you're playing. You're talking about in the World Cup, so you've got to have deception. You got to have chemistry is really important because we have players that are clever players unlike I mean, Gio reina is a good player pulisic i could see him as a second forward there just playing off the top forward you know he's got speed to make runs he's got timing and intelligence he turns on a dime you'd be putting them closer to goal then that allows you three behind those two i i would if i was coaching the national team i would do that but I think the methodical build-up in the patience and going back, it almost looks like Manchester United. Sometimes it's hard to watch. It's not. I mean, <laughs> even, in, even in Panama with the five goals, the first 10 minutes started out pretty poor. right? Yeah. And so you, you, it's just like note to self. Hey, if you're playing against, you know, a, a European power or you're playing against a, a very well polished um, FIFA World Cup side, You know, they're not going to give you that. And they're also, they're going to punish you in those situations. Then you're chasing the game. You don't want to be in a situation where you're chasing the game. So I think it would allow him, at least he should experiment in the next seven months to change that up. Because if they looked, if they went back and looked at all the games, you know, they've only played a few halves of really impressive football.
0: Group B, England, Iran, U.S. and the winner of the Euro playoff. Um, immediately, you look at the opportunity for the U.S. and England to go head to head in the World Cup, right, um, right? And I think people have almost been taking it lightly. People have been saying it's a, you know favorable. I don't believe in a favorable grouping in the World Cup because all these teams Agreed. are phenomenal, and anything can happen. Right. Plus, whichever of those three teams gets in there in the Euro playoff, they can present a stark challenge. So, I, wh- what's your take on Group B? I
1: think it's it's more favorable than say Group. Um, uh, F, what it was, F, what it was
0: Belgium, was Canada, about. Morocco, Croatia.
1: Yeah, no, the one that I really thought was G Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, oh, Cameroon. Yeah. You know? and Cameroon being the kind of the unknown, you know, that African nations tend to, they're brilliant out of the gates. And then they get taxed physically because the recovery of playing eight matches in three games. Sometimes the second match, the legs start going because they've done 35 step overs in the first 15 minutes. <laughs> right. And then your body is, you don't have the capacity anymore. The stress has, in the later rounds, sometimes they don't grow or build is a better word, like teams like Germany and Brazil and Italy of, you know, obviously Italy's not in there, but the, the big nations, right? That know how to build through a tournament. I think Serbia is going to be very tough. Huh? I mean, they have a world-class goal scorer, Vlaovic, who just went to Juventus from Fiorentina, and they'll be similar to, they'll be a version of, Croatia like from the last World Cup why not they're in a good group and they have a the coach Dragan uh, Stojkovic was one of my favorite favorite players who played in Marseille he played in Japan I mean he was a beautiful one of the top echelon midfielders in world football so I think that group would be a tough group for U.S. but um, playing the winner of uh, Scotland Wales and Ukraine we don't even know if Ukraine's going to play because of the situation I think Wales is gonna come out. I'd prefer that we played Scotland. And Scotland's coming, you know, organically they're growing now, but I just feel they haven't been there for quite a while. So they're not as in, in they're not as comfortable being in a major tournament. I think Wales with Bale, Ramsey, a few of the other players, you know, it could be a game that's close enough that those type of moments that he's involved in could tip the scale. Same thing with Christian Pulisic, right? And a few of our players, Gio Reyna. So, I think that we would be even with Wales with a slight, we'd be a slight favorite over Wales. I think we'd be uh, not a heavy favorite, but, you know, one and a half favorite over Scotland. Mm-hmm. And I think Ukraine, if they went through, would be a, an entirely different situation that you couldn't quantify ahead of time because you don't know what you're going to get.
0: Yeah, no, very well said. Um, yeah, I, I look at these groups and I feel like before it's been very easy to identify, like, which one is you know, going to be the most, di- but like all of them this time, like I can't believe that all I can talk about Iran
1: will be very tough. Uh, it's and inc- particularly to play Iran in the last match, because the great thing is that you play a European team and then you play England and it kind of would be nice to play England in the first match because then you'd know what you need in the next two, right? Yeah. Uh, regardless what happens, but it's still good to play on the 21st against let's just say it's Wales. And that's a similar style to England. England is much more continental mm-hmm. than playing now. I mean, all these players have been coached under continental managers. You know, Pep Guardiola, Ponchettino is in PSG, but he was, you know, so many years ingrained in, in the EPL. And you look at Arsenal, you know, with, uh, with Arteta, and then you look at Antonio Conte. And before that, all the different managers that have been in the EPL, all these English players. And I was telling Max Bredos the other day when, you know, my old partner, that i said the english team is not arrogant you know they're not big-headed the media gets on top of it a little bit where they'll overhype it but these guys are very humble they mm-hmm. have a great coach you know so th- this is an england that you know they were in semifinals in 2018 they were finalists against italy and went to penalty kicks in the euros so you're talking about the form of the day and and just in the 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 top of their their moment age-wise and talent-wise phil Foden, i mean he walks around the field with his chest out Pep Guardiola has given them so much confidence. <laughs> I mean, they have an array of, of weapons. But I still, having said that, I think that's a, a a fascinating match for the U.S. And I think that actually we can do decent, we can do well against them. If England plays the way they did against in 18, U.S. will definitely have a good chance against them. They were way too, not on the front foot. You know, they were very passive in the way that they build up and way to win. But the way they played in the, the Euros, they were a little bit more... You know, they had some, they had some urgency to their play.
0: Group E, Spain, the winner of the Intercontinental Playoff 2, Germany and Japan, or Group F, Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. Which one intrigues you more?
1: Uh, Or Group F. uh, Wow. (laughs) I mean, uh, from, from just the four teams, Group F, uh, you know, I think Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia. I love Morocco. Mm -hmm. I've always liked teams. From Africa of French culture, um, and they've always had those type of coaches. Uh, also, Canada is, was clearly for me the best team in CONCACAF playing yeah. wise, just when you watched it, how they play. So they deserve to be there. I think John Herman has done an excellent job. And Davies
0: is getting healthy. I mean, that's Davies another. Davies
1: is the best player in CONCACAF with Pulisic. Those two, you know, then you could put Chucky Lozano and El Tecatita Corona and a few others in there. Raul Jimenez, maybe. So I think Canada, Belgium, you know, I was just watching Kevin De Bruyne just the other day, <clears throat> the day of the draw, I had mentioned that, you know, a lot of people are thinking Belgium's not the same Belgium. I say they have the best midfielder in the world. Mm-hmm. That's a, he's, a game to, he's a game changer. You know, he knows you, over 90 minutes, he knows how to finish those situations like he did today in the game against Atletico Madrid. He said they were playing a 5-3-2. And he said after a certain amount of time, they are playing 5-5. He said it was like it was like playing handball to get in behind him. That's what he said. He said it's like <laughs> the movement you had to make is like playing handball, and uh, you know to try to find those areas. But he made an incredible, incisive, just a surgical cut and a great finish. So I like Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. You know, obviously, uh, uh, Croatian. When you look at the coach there, Zajac, he's got to make sure that he freshens up the team a little bit. Look for a younger Modric. Look for a younger. Uh, Croatian player because they're developing players left, right, and center there. And um, the, the one thing that many of these countries do, Ted, is that they they go with the same players that they were in the trenches with four years before, like yeah. Marcelo Lippi did, and then they end up not doing well. So hopefully Croatia adds a little... Um, but Group E, Spain and Germany and Japan—that's a nice group, by
0: far. <laughs> you know, here's something that was brought up the other day that I didn't even consider. It was somebody showed a picture of the air conditioning uh, system they were, you know, they got going for these stadiums in, in Qatar. In Qatar. Yeah. Are are the European nations at any of a disadvantage in these games compared to you know the? No,
1: no, no, not at all. Actually, they got that wrong because both times I was in Doha, Qatar was like June, July. Mm-hmm. So in 2018, like Vieri and I, we had to get in a car and go to the studio. By the way, the best studios in the world. I can imagine. There are no studios like that. There, I'll show you some <laughs> pictures later. There is just nothing like it. It's crazy. It's insane. And so you're jumping out of the hotel with these thick blankets on the front door and you make a 10 yard dash to the car. It's like 120 degrees. <laughs> the second time I went, you know, Giberto Silva and I, we were hanging out more, You know, going for walks, going to the pool and stuff like that. We go to the gym. You know, you get used to the weather a little bit because it's dry. But in November, it's going to be in the 70s, mid 70s to 80s. So it's actually this World Cup in 2022 in Doha will be cooler than the World Cup in Russia in 2018. Wow. Yeah. Because that's, that's why they that's why they chose it to have it in November. It's a beautiful time of year.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I knew that the 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 lateness was obviously part of it, but you know, you see the photos of the air conditioning system, it's like, yeah, wow, yeah. that is <laughs> like that is that is something else. So, just la- last thought from you yeah. on just everything. Heading into this this World Cup, like where, like what what's the storyline beyond the United States? Obviously, we're biased, but what-
1: well, I think Mexico. You got to bring up Mexico because you know half of California, where we live, is is of uh, Mexican descent, yep. and uh, there are cousins, there are neighbors, and I think Mexico always punches above their weight when they play Brazil or Argentina or or maybe a, a, when you think '94 when they played against Italia, they they're in their worst moment. And think about when Vasco Aguirre took over. I remember we—I did the game with Max in New York when Bob Bradley took a C, a USC team, and Mexico took their A team because they needed to win, and kind of resurrect their 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 confidence. I think that you know Tata Martino, he's got a lot going on. The players are good players. Um, they'll come around by the time the tournament is there, and I think they'll play well. But this is the worst qualifying. That I've seen of Mexica, Mexico with just the way they're playing, you know? So they're kind of, they have a good generation of players. You, yeah. know, you look up front, uh, El, Te, El Tecatito Corona, what a great name, too. Tecati Corona, you think, does he like <laughs> the party? I don't know. Or his dad does, we give him the name. And Chucky Lozano, Chuki Lozano, I love, you know, the one who went to Napoli, Raul Jimenez is getting back into form. We'll see if Vela comes or Chicharito, but they have great midfielders, too. And um, and very savvy defenders, great goalkeeper in Memo Ochoa who's done well in World Cup. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of finding, you know, I was wondering, would they change the coach? And they're not going to do it because Tata's on a lot of money. I would have loved to see, and this is, I'm just throwing it out. I would have loved to see El Turco Mohamed as the coach there. Um, Antonio Mohamed, there was an Argentine player that played in Torres he played in many clubs in Mexico. And he's coached Monterey Mm -hmm. in, in so many club america as well and he's just been in brazil i think with atletico Mineiro. he won copa sudamericana and so i would love to see that change but they won't do it um but I, mexico is going to be an interesting story because the u.s and mexico commit they bring the most fans to every world cup
0: it's yeah. true yeah no i mean obviously they they roll deep with the fans but mr sullivan i know you got to run and i got to move on to the the next interview i got to do here after this but always a pleasure and uh, i'll be seeing you real soon all right my friend
1: Anytime, my friend. Great to be on with you.
0: You are listening to the Soccer Hour, brought to you by your NorCal Honda dealers. Now it's time for us to shift gears and talk about early season NWSL action with Haley Kottmeyer of Just Women's Sports. All right. We now have joining us on the Soccer Hour on KMBR 1050. It is Haley Kopmeyer of Just Women's Sports. It's her second time coming on the show and you know Haley was a uh, a goalkeeper in her playing days and Haley I'd like to think that you were just inspired by people like me shoving a microphone in your face uh, for you know however many years that brought you over to the media side or, or maybe not that may not have been the reason but uh, how are you doing today
3: I am good I'm good you know I I think it played a part because I think you know as as the game has grown um, you know, it really is the people who kind of from the beginning have been pushing and continuing to kind of keep shoving that mic, but in all the best ways that have, you know, gotten us to where we are and, and where it'll keep going. So I'm, I'm excited to be on this side of the table now.
0: Yeah. No, is, is it weird, by the way, have you gone and like talked to former, um, you know, people that you were either played against or played with, and they almost look at you a little bit differently now that you are quote unquote media?
3: Um, I think so. I, I probably have some friends that, you know, sort of like watch what they say. But I, I think I'm, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm a good friend who's good at keeping a secret. But I'm, I'm sure there are a few moments where it's crossed minds before.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's all it's it's part of the joy of uh, I just like to tease every uh, every former uh, soccer player in particular for coming to the dark side, because I on the earthquakes broadcasts, I work with the. Uh, Joe Cannon, who is, co- of course, is part of the uh, the goalkeeper club that you're part of a uh, part of as well. So it's always fun to remind him on assistant uh, a consistent basis that he's uh, he's not he's no longer as close to the club as he was, but uh, obviously just having fun, um, you know, to start off, I figure I will talk about uh, CBS putting the big matchup of the two expansion California teams new for 2022 angel city FC. And of course, San Diego wave, uh, 500,000 plus viewers tune in for that one. Are you surprised by that at all?
3: Cause I, I personally was not. No, I, I wasn't surprised. You know, I think with both these clubs, there's just been, especially angel city, there's just been so much hype around it and so much press. And they, you know, they are, they're setting such a standard for what, clubs in this league need to be and you know I, I think you know you get that star factor in California you have national team players on display it was you know it, re- it really was everything you'd want that game to be um, you know lots of goals high-flying action it, it was it was just a fun game to watch
0: it really was and I'm, I'm glad you know CBS that you know they're smart they they probably had a pretty good idea of what that was going to turn into but I think that despite everything that Angel City FC has done to do everything right I mean they're marketing the the amount of sponsorship deals they've made and partnerships that's that's all gone right so far but on on the field they're clearly still finding themselves
3: yeah you know I, I think they are and before the season you know you're looking at rosters and I mean this does include you know obviously Julie Ertz just announced her pregnancy so mm-hmm. her but you know, things like that, when they're trying to assemble this team and put together lineups, you know you know that they're, they were already light in the back um, just with injuries to Sarah Gordon. You know, you, you knew coming into the season they were going to be hurting a little bit defensively. So, you know, you do have to think that they're going to make changes and make changes quick, that they're going to try to bring new players in. They're going to, you know, get people as healthy as they possibly can. Um, because I think from a roster standpoint right now and in the picture that's getting painted on the field, you know, just even lineup wise, San Diego didn't look better. You know, I, I think prediction wise is the last two matchups is I thought going in. I know they tied the first one, but mm-hmm. my thought is that San Diego's a better team out on that field right now. So I'm with you, you know, they're, they're doing everything right off the field. They're getting it right. And now I think that's going to be that final piece. So, you know, you, you gotta think it comes quick though. Cause I think a club like this, they don't want to go into their regular season. They don't want to get into their home stadium and, and be losing.
0: No, obviously, and uh, it is—it is such a fun dynamic, though, to have this California rivalry. And I, again, I'm sure you and I can have a much longer conversation about how wild it is that there is not an NWSL team here in the Bay Area. And my my dad, I'm uh, you know second generation sports broadcaster. He broadcast the Cyber Rays games back in the day, so I used to go to those. And obviously, that you know the inherent problems of the WUSA. It's like. You can learn from that and still have a team in the bay area but i i digress i digress but uh you know some of the early season trends i mean obviously what we're seeing some teams that i don't think we're too shocked by like seeing chicago doing what they're doing that you know i guess that falls in line with my expectations washington has looked better than i was expecting it seems like the fact that they have six points through four games it seems like they're weathering everything that's being thrown at them what are what are some of the things early on here that are surprising you or maybe standing out or some Um, some decisions that you've seen made um, or just, you know, results that have kind of surprised you?
3: You know, I think every team seems to be taking a little bit different of an approach. You know, you've got teams like Portland who are kind of rotating their roster, right? Like they're getting different players on the field. Yeah. Obviously there's a few constants, but they're getting different players minutes. Um, And it seems like they're kind of playing the long game almost like, yeah, they want to win this tournament, but if they don't, their, their biggest goal is to say, okay, we're going to have everybody ready and healthy by the start of the regular season. Then obviously you have these new expansion clubs um, and you have teams who didn't do very well, you know, or didn't do as well last year, like, like the Louisvilles and the Kansas cities who really seem like, you know, they're trying to solidify their lineups, figure out their sub rotations. Um, and, and so they're playing really consistent lineups. So every team kind of seems to have just like a slightly different strategy And the other theme, unfortunately, a little bit has been injuries, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you have a really competitive tournament this early in the season and players are playing three games in eight days really early on. So, you know, and and injuries are coming to big-time players like Marta and Lynn Williams and Tierna Davison. And, you know, I know Sarah Gordon was before this all started, but, you know, kind of these injuries that you don't want to see. So I think it is going to be interesting moving forward how the league, you know, how they put on this tournament and what how teams – prepare for this tournament and what their mindsets are because I do think you know yeah they want to win but more so they want to get their lineups right um, and they want to stay healthy now
0: yeah I know Orlando was just another one their keeper got added to the injury list you know it's just it happens it's I mean it's every sport there are early season injuries when you were playing how long did it take you to really get used to your teammates because obviously there's you know comings and goings from one year to the next but did it you know, that chemistry, it's such an overused term because there's some athletes who get together and they understand each other right away. And, you know, the idea of chemistry almost, it exists from, you know, its impetus. Whereas other players, it does take a while to learn. Like, was it, was there any sort of a consistent factor into where you felt like the team knew itself or was each year a, a unique identity?
3: I do think it is a unique identity. And honestly, I, I think that that is probably the hardest part about you know coaching right because more often than not your best 11 isn't your best 11 players right it's the Mm -hmm. best 11 who play well together and you know there were times I've been on teams that you know maybe I wasn't the best goalkeeper but the team was playing the best in front of me so I played and there was other times where you know maybe I felt like I was the better goalkeeper but I wasn't playing because the team didn't play better in front of me so it, it is really one of those kind of elusive things and it seems to build it seems to be something that builds, right? Like this confidence and your confidence in the people around you and your team culture. There's so many kind of little things that feel like it plays into this sort of this trust. And and I'm, you know, you see San Diego, you know, they tied that first game, but they've looked better each game. Whereas mm-hmm. LA, they've actually looked a little bit shakier each game. And you kind of see that trust faltering, you know, between lines and kind of between the players. So And and that's something you immediately, as soon as you recognize it, you want to jump in because it it really is like, I, you know, I've played on teams that have been the best in the league. I've played on teams that have been kind of the worst in the league. And it, it really is so hard to pull yourself out um, of kind of getting into the slump of losing. So I, you know, I I do, I, I expect to see changes, you know, that there's personnel changes you can make, there's bringing in new players, there's you know changing the structure of your you know trainings and the time on and off the field and you know how you interact with each other so you know i think you're starting to see that early on um you know which teams are starting to look better and better each game and then you know which teams are are struggling early
0: the the kg match um was oil rain and portland's you know obviously That's a one goal game. And those are two of, in my opinion, the the best teams in the league right now. It's always early. Do you hate it when people say, Oh, you know, these are two of the best right now. Are you like, Ted, we haven't seen anything. You can't make that statement.
3: No, I think, you know, I mean, they, I I think early on, you know, who's going to be pretty darn good and yeah, things can derail that and it might start great and end poorly or, you know, there's obviously things that are kind of like that, but you knew going in, you know, that both of these teams were going to be ready from a personnel standpoint, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you kind of knew what you were going to expect. So I don't think it's, you know, too crazy to say after a few games, you know, maybe one game is a little early, but you're starting to see it now. Who's, I mean, you are, you're starting to see it now who you think, okay, who can compete. And you're also starting to see, okay, who's got to really make changes. Otherwise they're going to struggle.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you had said that, when all was said and done, that Rose Lavelle was gonna net the game winner, I would have been like, okay, yeah, I can, I can buy that. That's something <laughs> I can, I, I can jive with. Um, in terms of other early season things that you're looking for, like how, you know, how do you know when a team like we we look at you know Angel City FC? How do you? What makes you think beyond the results? Like, is it the lack of maybe? decisiveness in passing when they're building from the back is it you know is a lack of organization from the midfield to the attacking third like what do you see specifically because as a keeper you know you guys are the only ones out there on the pitch that see everything you see it going away and you see it coming back and i know from you know working you know side by side with the keeper that you guys have a unique a perspective
3: a hundred percent i you know again i think it's like probably a little bit different from every team and it, and it really does come back to you know how your team chooses to play and the confidence that you build in the people around you, you know, and and it is, it's, you know, do you trust the person behind you? Do you trust the people in front of you? Um, and you know, in the same regard, you know, that mistakes are going to happen. And do you believe that both yourself and the people around you can kind of rebound from those mistakes? Mm -hmm. Um, and you see early with teams like, you know, like Gotham has had a couple late ties and a couple late winners, and you just kind of get the vibe of, okay, at some point, a lot more goals are going to come for a team like that, but they're, they're starting to figure it out and they're grinding out wins. Um, you know, even like the spirit, you're kind of getting that vibe that, okay, they didn't, you know, they didn't start quite as hot as they wanted to, but they're starting to figure it out again. They're getting these gritty goals and, you know, they're going to be okay. Um, and they're keeping the faith. So, yeah, you know, I, I do think you see that and you're starting to see just some of these like, you know, character moments, character players, already starting to kind of rise to the top.
0: Yeah, um, you know, we're at the point now where um, Blacko Andonovsky has made his call-ups for these upcoming friendlies. And now these teams, especially the expansion teams, are going to be without key players. So what does that do to a team? How much different is training, especially even uh, with, uh, with San Diego, a rookie like Naomi Gurma? And, um, you know, obviously we got to watch her up close and personal at Stanford. Um, she's been on the show before, too. We know what uh, an impressive you know, player she's been and how much we think is possible for her in the future. But suddenly it's like, OK, what does that do to everybody else on San Diego when Abby Dahlkemper and Naomi Germa, two cornerstones of that back line, are suddenly are suddenly gone? They're not there at training today.
3: Yeah, you know, I, it is tough and it is a challenge for every team every year when this happens. And I think that's why, you know, your regular season winners are always teams with such depth. Um, you know, and it is always, you know, the Portlands, it seems to be these rosters that just have the depth to kind of rotate through and, you know, beyond their 11, they know that they have great players on the bench. I mean, it really is. It's why, you know, early on, you're like, oh, Rain looked good. Rain have a deep bench. Portland looked good. They've got a deep bench. You know, Spirit, Gotham, you, you name these teams that just feel deep. And these expansion teams don't quite feel as deep yet. So I do think it hits them a little bit harder, and especially teams that, you know, are still looking to really, like, solidify their chemistry and solidify their best 11, even, I think it definitely hits them harder than teams that, you know, that have these year over year consistent rosters and they're, and they're used to losing, you know, and people coming in and out. You know, I think, like you said, Naomi, um, her and Abby are creating this really awesome backline partnership and it seems to be working. And then Kaylin Sheridan as well, to be fair. And they seem to be like finding a rhythm and they're getting better and better each game. Um, and it does, it sort of breaks the action. So I you know, it's sort of the nature of the beast a little bit, unfortunately, I think, with these. Um, but they're going to have to learn and they're going to have to adapt. And that's, I mean, that is the reality. I, I know JWS actually is doing a big piece on Naomi. Yeah. Up and just how quickly she's just settled into the league, right? You know, she and a few other rookies. It's such a hard jump to make. And it's such, this is such a credit to the players who just jump in. You know, Jalen Howell, at least Bennett's been really good for Kansas City. And they just, they come into the league like it's, They've hardly stepped up you know like and i mean that in a very positive way like they mm-hmm. were already playing at that level so um that's been that's always cool to see year over year
0: w- with naomi gurma um obviously we talked about her uh right around draft time in the winter uh when all that was was getting ready to go down she ends up being the the number one overall pick like i said you know here in the bay area we got to see her up close and personal i'm just curious in, in watching her so far what you've seen because what's impressed me is that even when she's made a a quote unquote mistake, and I say that from my viewpoint, and like maybe, you know, it wasn't a mistake, we just had the play went out, but even when she's emergency defender mode, it's not been panicked. It's like she's been able to recover and put herself right back in the correct place. And to see that type of maturity from somebody as, as young as her, that to me is what's really, really unique about watching her.
3: I totally agree. You know, she, she does, she just looks comfortable. Right. And and everybody's going to make mistakes, um, but she doesn't look flustered. She doesn't look like, you know, she looked like she was already playing at this level. So it was natural for her. And, And I think for a center back too, you know, it is one of those thankless positions a little bit where for the most part, people are only talking about you if you mess up. And, and, and that's, and, I mean, and that, and it is, it's true. And I, you know, I have so much, I give so much love and credit to center backs for that reason alone. Um, it becomes a very kind of like daunting and thankless position because again, like if they're bringing you up, it means you didn't do your job. Right. I means every now and then you might make it your corner kick goal, but more often <laughs> than not, they're talking about you because it's something bad and with Naomi, she's just settled in. Um, and she looks comfortable, and it is a good thing that you're not talking about her, you know.
0: Uh, but I will point out that even if the center backs make a mistake, the cameras do pan in on on the netminder. That's that's not very fair to you guys. Uh,
3: yeah, you no, I. I, I <laughs> The, the goalkeeper is the, that is a the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. So I am, it's, it's definitely, I think a little bit of a different world, but yeah, that that's its own beast. We don't have, we, we, we would almost need like three segments to, <laughs> for me to fully unpack all of that.
0: <laughs> um, and, and is there anybody that's, um, in terms of a team, I won't make you call out an individual, but is there a team that's specifically disappointed you up to this point?
3: Ooh, you know, I, again, and I'm, and I'm calling out my old side a little bit here, but And I know that they've had some injuries and you kind of expected it with as many offseason, you know, turnovers as they've had that Orlando was going to struggle. But it just seems like, you know, with the injuries, with everything that going on, that that hole just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. So, um, you know, some of it's in their control just based on the choices they made in the offseason. And then some of it's just not. And they're kind of victim to those. You know just those early season season woos that you see every now and then and Mm -hmm. it's going to take a lot now for them to really again kind of what you feel like is like dig them out of the hole that they're already in and also one that unfortunately they're kind of used to being in you know not having had very many successful years so early on they're there you know we've we've called out angel city um you just can't imagine that they're gonna let it fly that they're you know not winning games um so I, I bet you see some big signings there. I, I'd have to imagine it because, I mean, they not only do they need want to win, but they do need to win, right? You know, they're they're really trying to build something there um, that is bigger, probably than any other team in the league, realistically. So I, I expect them to to be quick on the changes.
0: I, I had this discussion with somebody about a week ago because they were talking about how much they'd heard about Angel City FC and their. Um, just a general sports fan, they're not a specific um, soccer fan, but they said, you know, it's impressive how much they're hearing about this club. And they also asked, though, if that was dangerous because, you know, it, it's been interesting, like we make the direct comparison to Major League Soccer, which like NWSL is a young Miami. league in it's the global. My, it's yeah.
3: yeah. 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 I listen.
0: I'm with you, Ed. It's just, it's, it's, it's scary to think about like, okay, there's all this hype and there's all this pressure. Like, what if they don't live up to the hype? What if they, and what if they are, let's say they do turn things around quickly, which I'm, I'm expecting them to like you. And then is it, what happens if everybody just focuses on them and then you're kind of cut adrift when another team is not a dominant power? It's, it's a very interesting tightrope to walk.
3: It is. And it, you know what? It puts a spotlight on them, which I know, you know, from the top down, they feel the ownership feels it. The investors feel it. The players feel it. The coaches feel it, right? Like, you kind of have a shorter string, I think, to operate on. Um, and you did, you, you saw that in Miami with how quickly, you know, like they're quick to change a coach if it's not going well, mm-hmm. quick to sign players, turnover players, if it's not going where well. And I mean, that can be a fix that can work, you know, and, and they will do what it takes to, you know, find the right fit of really everything from, you know, players, management, et cetera, et cetera. So Yeah, I I do think, you know, you'll see changes there, but I'm I'm with you. You know, it is it is tough coming into the league and being a completely new team, but seemingly having this really bright spotlight on all the players. Yeah.
0: Well, Haley, it's been awesome talking to you once again. I know we're going to be doing it uh, again consistently over the course of this season. Really appreciate your work and everything that Just Women's Sports is doing and looking forward to uh, talking to you again. All right. Thank you so much, Ted. Again, that was Haley Kottmeyer of Just Women's Sports joining us here on the Soccer Hour on KMBR 1050. Be sure to join us Saturday at 5.30 as the San Jose Earthquakes travel to Houston to take on the Dynamo. For your San Jose Earthquakes and your NorCal Honda dealers, I'm Ted Ramey signing off. This has been the Soccer Hour with Ted Ramey presented by the San Jose Earthquakes and your local NorCal Honda dealers on KMBR
2: 1050. Be sports leader.